We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we are talking about a game four Nets win, 141-126. A lot of offense. How are we feeling, Jack? Scary hours. It really was. This was a performance from, you know, the big three. <laughs> that was historical. You know, we saw KD drop 42, Kyrie drop 39. You know, James Harden with a casual 23 and 18 game, 18 assists, almost tied the franchise record for postseason assists with Jason Kidd. You know, it was just incredible. We'll jump into that and plenty more. But you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we begin? From the beginning, Nick, it seemed to me that like, you know, it was a little bit back and forth in the, in the first quarter, but I think we all had confidence in the Nets sort of being like, okay, they'll lock in a little bit here. They did give up 34 points in that first quarter, but that second quarter was just wild. Absolutely insane. 40 to 26. And they didn't look back from there. Yeah, really. That's it. And I think some of the initial spurt from Boston was just, you know, having the fans in the arena having some energy from that previous game. And like you said, Nets tighten things up defensively. A lot of credit to Nick Claxton coming and having that defensive impact. And offensively, you know, scoring 40 points in a playoff game is just kind of insane. And they were just going to work. You know, in that second quarter, you saw James Harden get to the rim with ease. A lot of layups for him and just something that you typically don't see. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have Peyton Pritchett guarding him and Kevin Durant, uh, it's barbecue <laughs> chicken on, on on any night of the week. And look, the Robert Williams' absence, Kemba Walker's absence as well, I'm not sure. That, that doesn't really change anything defensively. It does change a little bit offensively, but he hasn't been good this series either. Like, Marcus Smart's been their second-best player, so it doesn't really change a lot. But, Nick, did you see anything different in the way that the Nets guarded Tatum? I know in the first quarter I was able to, to be quite in-depth and watch most of it. You know, we didn't see any doubles and any blitzes then, but was it just more the offense taking over and it just allowed it easier when you make shots to get back on defense and get a bit more set? 
Yeah, I think that's some of it. I think obviously the offense was insane. You know, 141 points is just something that you don't see in the postseason. And Boston still scored 126, but the Nets' efficiency was just next level. And in terms of specifically defending uh, Jason Tatum, I thought the Nets did a better job a little bit off ball and kind of setting themselves up with like, okay, you know, we're going to play KD at center a little bit. Now our switches are a little bit better. I think they did a better job giving him more uh, attention, you know, second, third, and fourth quarter, and also having support. You know, I think he struggled a little bit in that second half in terms of attacking the rim. The Nets really had a lot of like second or third guys meeting him. I think there was actually one play in the third quarter where it was like Kevin Durant, Nick Claxton, and Kyrie Irving all kind of just sandwiching Jason Tatum as he attacks the rim. And I felt like he started to get frustrated, still had a really great game you know 40 points but wasn't quite as efficient as the last one still I think they can do a better job and sending maybe some more things schematically but at the end of the day they got the win it's 3-1 Nick and the, the offense was truly absurd tonight and to put it into context the field goal percentage 57.8 <laughs> the three-point percentage 59.3 the free throw percentage they took 30 of them it wasn't just like 15 96.7 they missed one people I think Fred Katz put it out there that the Nets would have been the only team to have a 60-60-100 night. And they were a couple of percentage points away from it. Dear Lord, is this the greatest offensive performance you've seen in a playoff game, Nick? Yeah, I mean, personally, that I can remember off the top of my head, obviously, recency bias, Nets bias in this situation. But just with some of the efficiency and the scoring, it's insane. You know, just like you said, 141, 57% from the field and 59% from three. It's just kind of crazy. And like, to give you, you know, even more detailed numbers, 48 out of 83 from the field, 16 of 27 from three. Just something that's incredibly hard to replicate. And when you have, you know, three of the most elite offensive players in the league, this is going to happen sometimes. And you saw insane efficiency from Kevin Durant, you know, maybe not as much Kyrie Irving, but James Harden as well. You know, KD shot 70% from the field, scoring 42 points and three at three from the three-point line, 11-11 from the free throw line. And James Harden, 66% from the field, 40% from three. Kyrie's only 45% from the field, but 50% from three. It's just like your three best players playing at that level, it's almost impossible to lose to an extent. No one was going to beat them tonight. No one was going to get in their head. And, you know, despite the fans booing like crazy, 17,000 dumb Boston Celtics fans, doesn't matter if you're throwing a water bottle at him, Kyrie mm. Irving, it's no one else's business. And for the record, Nick, Mets Radio did say that the person who did throw that water bottle was wearing a Kevin Garnett jersey, by the way, white dude, um, has been taken to jail. So good. And hopefully he's in there overnight and, you know, he has to play a big fight and he's banned from all Boston sports and he gets to repercut and gets to face the consequences of his idiotic and disgusting actions. And I think that what might have spurred it doesn't necessarily change anything. We saw Kyrie Irving towards the end of the game, you know, slap hands with some of the, the Nets fan, uh, the Nets players and, and on the middle of the court was the, the Celtics logo. Kyrie did a little bit of a shady little stamp on it. They never deserved him in the first place. They're going to treat him like trash. He can treat your franchise like trash. And he'll treat your defense like trash as well. Um, look, last game, I think, Nick, we discussed it. And we provided the requisite criticism um, that was probably deserved after a poor performance. But Kyrie Irving's allowed to have bad games. He's a human being. Kevin Rant had bad games this season. James Harden's had bad games this season. If anything, Kyrie Irving's had less bad games than those dudes because of his availability. And tonight was one of the great Kyrie Irving performances that you'll ever see. He is... A goddamn wizard with the basketball on his hands. And these these three as a trio, uh, it is scary beyond belief. It makes Stephen King look like goddamn Seth Rogen. No, but getting back to Kyrie, obviously the fan, we're not going to give him much time. That that type of thing is obviously unacceptable. Trash. We talked about that plenty of times. But getting to the performance Kyrie had, I really enjoyed it because 
His shots weren't necessarily falling early in this game, but he stayed aggressive, got to the free throw line, made some defensive plays in there, and just had an incredible performance. You know, and he had 11 rebounds. I think that's something that kind of flew under the radar, especially after having a struggling rebounding game in the previous, you know, matchup with the Celtics. Tristan Thompson went off. Other guys kind of attacked the boards. Kyrie kind of helped in that area. And then those two back-to-back threes he hit in the fourth quarter, that was just kind of the perfect dagger to Boston fans. Just kind of like, okay, you know, this is, I'm going to make sure this one's over and it's things a little bit more big time and i think that he he was on a mission tonight and look like you mentioned nick 39 points 11 boards including three offensive boards i think that's something that he we touched on a little bit in the last game and and this season in general he's been rebounding the ball really really well including an incredible put back dunk it was like rolls reverse blake griffin should have been the one doing that not Kyrie irving but uh, he was on one tonight and uh, look six of 12 from three 11 11 from the free throw line Really good to see that happening from Kai, and good to see the ref, the refs finally giving the whistle that he deserves. If the Nets continue to be aggressive against this team, it's over in the next game. And if they continue to maintain this aggression, you know, throughout the entire playoffs, there are going to be few teams that can stop them because that aggression opens up everything else for the three-point shots, for the mid-ranges, for the ISO games, for Joe Harris to hit his three ball. Uh, it's going to be unstoppable if the Nets play the same way that they did tonight, Nick, in terms of you know the offense. What was it, like 16 assists um, in, in the previous game, 29 tonight. A 25-plus is a number that I want to see. Yep. Um, and I think that James Hunt doesn't necessarily have to have 18 of them. Um, but uh, ultimately... Just about creating a, a better cohesion and a better team offense because you, it just opened up for everyone. Even Bruce Brown was able to contribute in, in his minutes out there. We sort of said that we need to see the, the role players contribute. And like you alluded to, Nick Claxton, four blocks in, in eight minutes. That's some you know Robert Williams stuff that, that we sort of saw that to an extent as well. So I think that this was a much better individual performance from our superstar trio, one of the be- three of the best 15 players in the game. But also that opened things up for, for our role players to contribute. And I think that they were a big part of the success tonight too. Yeah, I agree. And I think also Steve Nash put them in some good positions. You know, you kind of mentioned having more space, especially with Boston not really having any rim protection. You know, if you can bring those guys away from the floor, they're playing Grant Williams at center. You know, no reason not to attack the rim and find those mismatches and kind of get everybody moving downhill. And I thought... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They did a nice job of that with Kyrie, with James Harden, like you mentioned, some of the role players. And having, you know, that small ball lineup we saw today, you know, a little KD at center or Bruce Brown, whoever you want to call it, I felt like that opened up things a little bit more. And it just made the Celtics kind of feel, 
I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. Just like they had no answer for what the Nets were doing. You know what I mean? Because it's just like constantly, if you're helping off the three-point shooter, the Nets are knocking it down. If you're not helping, your guy's going to probably lose in that one-on-one situation because of the elite shot making you have from Kyrie, Katie, and James Harden. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. It's it's just insane, Nick. We could talk for days about how glittering, sparkling, insane. This is literally the best version of each of the three guys. Was it, Nick, in terms of hard and facilitating, attacking, getting some open layups, Kevin Durant doing his ISO thing, you know, the mid-range, the three-pointer, the pull-up three from the top of the perimeter might be the prettiest shot. It's my favorite yeah. shot that any player shoots. You know, Kyrie Irving um, makes it hard for me to, to pick, but Kevin Durant's pull-up threes are, are a thing of beauty. And Kyrie Irving, I mean, there was shots aplenty from him tonight. Yeah, I think this was the best, you know, postseason performance we've seen from the three best probably Nets performance in general. Like you said, they all kind of did their thing. You know, KD dropped 42, Kyrie had 39, Harden had 23 and 18. You know, you can't really ask for much more. And it, like I mentioned before, was on some great efficiency. You know, Harden had six turnovers. Some of those he probably could have cleaned up, but overall... Really, really happy with the way they played. I also think James Harden defensively was pretty good in this game. Kevin Durant's been great the entire series for the most part. I thought James Harden really had some moments and had some nice physicality when he had to defend Tristan Thompson on the other end. And I really liked the defense from Katie in that four-on-one break, you know? Yeah. You learned a couple of things from Draymond Green, you know, one of the, the players that probably relishes those opportunities. And Kevin Durant's like, you know what? This ball is mine. Um, and he just goes bang and offense to defense. You know, you put that on your Twitter at OTG underscore Nick. Um, that was one of the highlights of the night. In the night that Felt like a big momentum play. It was. And I think that it was about time. You know, we, we got some defensive plays and, well, I said it on the last podcast, you know, Jeff Green has been the one preaching this as well. Defense will feed our offense. And while we still gave up 126 points, a lot of that was garbage time. And the Nets sort of switched off towards the end of it. I, I think that what we saw from this team was a, an intensity and an engagement um, from the, the the last three quarters that would allow them to just showcase their offensive dominance at, dominance at the same time. You know, if Nicholas Claxton doesn't get your four blocks, if Bruce Brown doesn't get a block for you, if KD doesn't get a couple of blocks, if Kyrie Irving doesn't have his two steals if James Harden doesn't have three blocks and two steals at the same time those numbers paled in comparison or, or, sorry it were extreme in comparison to what we saw from uh, the game three performance Nick and like I said and like James Harden said sorry he sort of said maybe we, we kind of needed this and it, it's a little bit disrespectful in a way to sort of say we need to lose to, to sort of switch on again but James Harden knows better than I do 
Yeah, no, I think it does, especially because it's like, oh, you can't only win with offense, even though the Nets won majority of this game with just offense. I think their offense was smoother. But like you said, defensively, they did a nice job of kind of making Boston uncomfortable on different points. You know, having active hands and blocking shots, that's kind of something that makes you think twice about making that pass or whatever it might be. So I agree. I think the defense was better in this one. There was a lot of foul calls. Maybe some of that's the Nets being a little bit more aggressive, you know, defensively or the officiating, not realizing this was a playoff game. But whatever it was, I I think there was some better engagement and when the Nets kind of almost needed stops or like when the game was getting close, they'd come through and get those plays. And also I think it allowed them to get some more transition opportunities. And obviously when you have an elite offensive players, transition is super ideal because that's when you get easy, easy buckets. I want to, I know we wouldn't, we said we wouldn't spend a lot of time on it, Nick, but I got to give KD's comments on the fan who threw the water bottle and all the sort of dumb shit that's been happening with fans lately. And excuse my language, you might have to get the beeper going again, Nick, but this is Kevin Durant saying, ladies and gentlemen, this isn't me swearing like I did in the last pod. He said, grow the fuck up and enjoy the game. It's bigger than you. Kevin Durant puts it plain and simple. Like, you are a fan, and Taylor Rooks as well put out another awesome tweet. The what, How she understands the game and, and, and the fan perspective as well is, is something pretty awesome in terms of being like, just because you buy a ticket to admission doesn't give you the excuse to act like an unruly hooligan. You know, it's it's plain and simple, Nick. Um, we need to see the stupidity out of the games. And that's all we'll say from that. Kyrie Irving stamped on that goddamn stupid green leprechaun. And, he, and that guy's going to, that white piece of trash is going to be spending the night in jail. So good luck to him because the Nets are, the Nets are rolling. Yeah, the Nets are rolling, and like you said, obviously we could spend more time on that. Maybe we'll do it after the series. Just, again, like uh, KD pretty much nailed it. You know, it doesn't entitle you to anything. Just enjoy the game. Be happy that you're able to be in arena after what we just went through through this entire pandemic and are still dealing with right now. And having the luxury of being a fan there, and you can't even take advantage fully of a great performance. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't from your team, but it was from the Brooklyn Nets, something historical that that you were in the arena for. But actually, let's talk a little bit about Kevin Durant, who put on a, a just a performance, just a beauty, you know, 42, a masterpiece, 42 points, 14 of 20, three of three from the three-point line, 11-11 from the free throw line, five assists, four rebounds, one steal, two blocks, one turnover. I mean, this, this was just elite, elite basketball. This is the kind of game where you're like, you know, I think Kevin Durant's the best player in the NBA. If not, there's an argument to be had that he is. People forget, Nick. It, they got they got short goddamn memories, and even in the game three lots, he was the best player you know for the yep. Brooklyn Nets. You know, Kyrie, Jason Tatum put up a, a fifty burger, but he wasn't able to back that up again tonight. Kevin Durant is proving to everyone around the league that people that might have forgotten. By the way, I'm still pretty freaking good. I'm Kevin Durant. You know who I am. And if you haven't been watching, seventy percent from the field on twenty shots. Come and on, the man. shots that he took were. It's not even. I mean, obviously. Again, we've talked about this before. Every shot is kind of Kevin Durant missing. It doesn't really matter what the defenders do. But the defense was good on some of these shots. Like, credit to Boston and really trying to make him uncomfortable. It just doesn't really work. And also, I'll give more credit to Kevin Durant. I think he did a nice job in this game of getting downhill a little bit more, even if that meant pulling up from the elbow, which at this point, watching him for an entire season the way that we've been able to watch him, that feels like a layup for Kevin Durant. An elbow jumper is a layup for KD. It's purity. It's, a, it's as pure <laughs> as the aqua springs of Mount Gadagascar in Sydney. Uh, but in, in, all, in all honesty, Nick, I'm, I can't think of a better player. And look, this is probably me getting caught up in the moment uh, as some selective bias as a Brooklyn Nets fan. But if we're talking about postseason basketball, two-way efficiency, two-way effectiveness, two-way engagement, two-way production, 
you know, LeBron James is a guy that comes to mind, but I think Kevin Durant provides more. I think if you're looking for a bucket at the end of the game, you're going to Kevin freaking Durant, the guy that's seven foot is going to shoot over anyone in the freaking league. He's going to get to the free throw line. He's going to hit the mid-ranger. He's going to hit the pull-up three that's going to sunk, sink your heart. He's going to get a block on the defensive end. He's going to take down four defenders. It doesn't matter who it is. Kevin Durant, for me, Nick, right now, and look, this can shift and change uh, on a whim. And we've heard people sort of say, oh, he's lost a little bit here. And we saw the idiot Tony Jones that I sort of reflected on in the last podcast. <laughs> I think he deleted that, the tweet. <laughs> he deleted the tweet and he blocked me in the process. And he blocked a lot of other, <laughs> he blocked a lot of other Nets fans. Uh, you know, when you're wrong, blocking someone, I guess, is your only recourse for it. So, But in all honesty, Nick, this sort of proved as well that Tony Jones, I could still play a little bit of defense. And by the way, I'm one of the best offensive players, if not the greatest pure shooter that we have ever seen step foot on the court. Yeah, I think you've made a great point, Jack. I think with two-way impact, there's an argument for saying he's better than LeBron. I think offensively, LeBron and which what he does for an offense and making you know lesser players better, kind of similar to what we see with James Harden, you could argue there's an edge, but obviously there's a considerable edge for Kevin Durant when it comes to scoring anywhere on the basketball court. And you know, obviously, I'm not sure if LeBron's 100% at this point, but this is a conversation that we're probably going to continue to have during the postseason, especially if both these guys you know continue to play at an elite level. The last time Kevin Durant was healthy, Nick, the last time LeBron James was at his peak, who took him down? Kevin Durant. The, yeah. We look back, and obviously a couple of years ago, and you know, both of these guys have aged. Kevin, look, in all honesty, Kevin Durant looks as good as he did when he was 25 years old. I, I, I don't think age is going to hurt his game as much as it's going to hurt LeBron's. I think LeBron doesn't have the jumper yet, the, and he's never going to get the jumper to the level of Kevin Durant. And generally, it's going to be your Stephen Curry's, your Kevin Durant's, your Joe Harris's. These guys are going to be playing into their late 30s with a level of efficiency that I don't think LeBron is going to be capable of. And again, we're arguing the semantics of the best player in the world. We've got one of them, and we've got James Harden, maybe the best passer and the, the best floor general as well. And we have maybe the best X factor and one of the greatest tough shot makers to ever set foot on the court in Kyrie Irving as well. When you have all those three guys and it just feeds each other. It, it, without all three of them, we don't see these outbursts from any of them. If it's just Kevin Durant, maybe you see it because Kevin Durant's individual brilliance is so insane. But I think James Harden finding him those open looks. Kyrie Irving being able to hit his hard shots and and drive aggressively and it's just a it's a it's a loop nick they all feed each other in a positive fashion and it's 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 what makes it so scary and terrifying for opposing defenses yeah, I think there's always an argument, too. You play with better players, your life's going to be easier. You know, yep. obviously, Kevin Durant's playing with two great players, and that's lessening his load, you know, especially in the offensive end. You can just kind of watch Kyrie go to work sometimes, or James Harden might set you up for an easy bucket. So, obviously, all things in consideration. But, again, you know, Kevin Durant's defense, there's just certain possessions where you see him locked in, where he's just disrupting everything. The only time that Jason Tatum's really got the best of him has been on that spin move. Uh, where he's kind of worked in the post. So credit to Tatum for that, because not only is that a difficult shot to hit, regardless of the defender, he's hitting that over Kevin Durant. So obviously, sometimes you just got to tip your cap to the offensive player. Yeah, but it's it's as simple as that. Good offense will always beat good defense, Nick. And it's, uh, I don't know, this sort of night is going to be a, a sort of turning point for... I think it's it, it makes it a little bit sweeter that this is against Boston and you know yeah. with, with everything that they've sort of said and you know the history with these two franchises and Atlantic Division rival and you see you know Kyrie Irving literally be proven right. It's as simple as that. <laughs> he said before heading to, to TD Garden, you know, 
I don't care about the booze, you know, as long as we keep 100 and, and we don't cross the line. And what happens in game four, Nick, when the, the, the stadium is full and you've got dumb white kids wearing their freaking jerseys, you see they cross the line. And people discredit Kyrie Irving for his comments and, and what they might be saying, including Jalen Brown, a former teammate. But it's just look at what is being said. Don't look at the person. I said this on JBT and I, yeah. and I preached it pretty consistently. Kyrie Irving, and, and it's reflective of the entire NBA. This is this is problematic, Nick, in, in a lot of senses. I know that you probably dive a little bit deeper on the outlet as well. Um, my fellow Aussie, Nick, uh, and I dive deep on, on JBT, but it just proves to you that nothing's going to stop Kyrie. Whether you're booing him, whether you're yelling profanities at him, it almost was the, it, it fed him in ways. And, and he was happy to be like, you know what? I'm going to shut these guys up. And we didn't hear them booing towards the end of the game when they were down 25, 28 and ridiculous margins. And that, that's what the margin felt like, Nick, despite, you know, it got down into into the teens. But Kyrie Irving let his basketball do the talking tonight. Um, and good for him because he's one of the best uh, to ever step foot on the court and went, and a true Brooklyn net through and through. And uh, this is this is only going to make his Brooklyn Nets allegiance, love, and, you know, d- dominance even greater. You know, I think that it's it's only going to increase the fact that I'm a New Jersey kid. I love the black and white. I'm loving the jerseys. I love my teammates. I love my family. I love my Brooklyn Nets family. And it's just like the Boston, whatever that tenure was back there, um, I'm sure that he regrets saying that he would come back after seeing the level of respect that he got because you don't see Brooklyn Nets fans doing that to, to Vince Carter, to all these other sort of former players. Boy, I'm Bogdanovich. Look, it's, I don't think you see it from, look, I'll just say Boston sports fans, they're proving everything that I've put on the timeline right. Yeah, definitely. And obviously they're, upset they're emotional Kyrie hurt their feelings and now he's coming back and kind of squashing on their heart and (laughs) and you're kind of getting the reaction in which Kyrie has kind of mentioned that he thought was going to happen so you know I'm not really surprised by any of that but kind of getting back to the game let's talk about your boy Joe Harris Jack felt like first half not necessarily huge part of the game I think he only had a couple shots but ended up finishing with 14 points five and nine from the field four or five from three four rebounds three assists zero turnovers you know, I thought he had some solid defensive possessions after that first quarter. Really nice game, uh, game for Joe Harris. Yeah, led the team in plus minus, Nick, with plus 17, you know, and, and had a couple of dimes here here and there as well. You know, it wasn't necessarily the outlandish performance that we saw uh, in game two, but this is a, the steadiness that you want from from Joe Harris when the, the, the big three are going off because you have Joe Harris out on the perimeter when you're KD cooking in the mid-range. Who is he going to kick it out to? And I don't. I think he got some really nice looks tonight. And it's just like pick your poison. And either way, you know you're going to need a pretty strong antidote because it's Joe Harris shooting a three. It's Kevin Durant shooting a mid ranger. It's James Harden getting the ball, and it's Kyrie Irving getting the ball. All three, all three players, and Joe obviously doing his thing on the perimeter, and a really good guy on the closeout as well. And is making better decisions off those closeouts compared to seasons past. You know, a, a maturity and growth in his game um, that we're we're really seeing and. You know, we sort of had our reservations and I had him a little bit given, you know, his past performances in the postseason. But you can see that the trust that is 
being built and the he, he deserves to start with these starting five. You know, there was a bit yeah. of debate on Bruce Brown. We saw, you know, the, the Yes Network put out, maybe it was going to be Bruce Brown starting and that was taken back. Not sure what the, the thing was there, but Joe Harris is proving not just offensively, Nick, not just with the three-pointer, but with the little things in his game that you alluded to and we've talked about, that he belongs as a starting five member with this big Brooklyn Nets squad. Yeah, and I think one thing, he's getting a better feel for where to be off ball. Like, not in terms of, like, kind of almost ruining the spacing. You know, trying to run over to the ball and allowing, you know, the Celtics to kind of get some pressure. He's kind of taking some of those small steps or trying to just create as much space as possible. And even you're seeing guys like Kevin Durant benefit from this because there was a play, I'm not sure if it was the second or third quarter, but Katie's driving in and Joe's defenders deciding if they should fully help or half help. And what that does is kind of allowed Kevin Durant to just have that little extra amount of space to feel fully comfortable and just nail that mid-range shot. And then you mentioned the confidence that Joe Harris is getting. We saw Kevin Kevin Durant pass up an open shot to pass the ball to Joe Harris for an open three like that. If that doesn't help your confidence, I'm not sure what else will. So Joe is definitely improving. And this is exactly what you want to see from him kind of continuing to grind out there because we know there's some limit limits to his game, but he's making the best of what he can do defensively. And I think that's all you can ask for. And kind of also having a better understanding of where even James Harden wants him. You know, you're seeing him communicate with his teammates a lot on the floor. It's it's plain and simple, Nick, that if you are building a, a squad that has the offensive talent, what you need is perimeter shooting and defense. And it helps when you've got the best perimeter shooter yeah. of the past two, three seasons uh, on, on the floor. And, you know, the, the confidence that he's showing, you know, it, it's a... It's a vibe and, and it's the Brooklyn Nets way that is being felt a, a, across the board. You know, ever since, you know, game one, game two, game three, where Kevin Durant's like, shoot it to, yeah. to Joe Harris. It seems to me like, you know what? I'd better shoot it because Kevin Durant's telling me to shoot it. I'm going <laughs> to shoot this goddamn ball. And it led to yet another incredible shooting season from, from Joey Buckets. Yeah, I agree, Jack. Uh, talking about, I guess, the fifth starter, we got Blake Griffin, who obviously has struggled in the series. You know, he's finished with two points, played uh, 18 minutes, one of three from the field, two rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, one block, zero turnovers. Not necessarily the most productive night from Blake. We obviously see some of his limits in the series against Boston, and they've done a pretty good job of trying to expose him. I think that what we've seen, thankfully, is an adjustment from Steve Nash and going, you know, our best five-man defensive lineup features Claxton or Bruce Brown out there. And in important moments, you do see Bruce Brown uh, and KD sort of switching at, you know, whether it's a small ball five or for either of them. And just an ability to, to sh and, and look, against the Boston Celtics, it's going to work. Against the Milwaukee Bucks, is it going to work? We'll, we'll have to wait and see with that. Maybe Blake and his just general strength and, and physicality might be able to help a little bit more. But this isn't the series for him, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a, it's unfortunate because what he's done as a Brooklyn Net is probably going to be forgotten a little bit. Um, but hopefully he has a role to play going forward. I just think that this series uh, just turned out to to be a poor one for him. And you know he he's looked a li little bit lethargic, a little bit slow. I think the minutes should be limited for him. And I think that in game five, we need to see extended minutes for Clax, extended minutes uh, for Bruce Brown, uh, because that is the formula to getting the W and making things tough for this Boston Celtics team. I agree, Jack. I think, like you said, this is just not the matchup for Blake. You know, he's also been pretty hesitant to shoot the three ball. 
And I think obviously if he's not shooting the three and not kind of adding much to the offense and typically during the regular season, obviously he has his defensive liabilities, but I think offensively he's not necessarily providing a lot. So there's no reason not to go to a guy like Nick Claxton or Bruce Brown who provides you more in the defensive end and maybe some more of those other areas where you need that type of help. And at least can be a somewhat plus offensively that Blake's kind of just not being able to do right now. Yeah, exactly. So uh, credit to, to Steve Nash for showing a little bit more. Um, I, I, I would want to see, you know, a, a few more wrinkles in terms of his coaching and, and, and such going forward. But at least fixing up the rotation uh, is a, a good sign. Yeah, I agree. And I think also like trying different things in this game. You know, we saw Tyler Johnson play 16 minutes over Landry Shamit's 13. We saw Bruce Brown play you know, almost 24 minutes in this game. And obviously Claxton only played eight. I think some of that was just, you know, kind of living with the small ball a little bit more and having the success that they had with that. So uh, credit to Nash. I thought, you know, early in this game, I was a little upset that he wasn't throwing more doubles at Tatum. I think there's an opportunity to probably do that in game five. But I think offensively, you saw him unlock some different things. And also, I don't know if I want to give him credit for the extra ball movement and player movement, but I'm sure he had some of his fingerprints on that. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, very, very true. Uh, Nick, we have heard Kyrie Irving's comments in relation to the, the water bottle throw. Um, and he did say he called tonight's incident underlying racism. And it says that fans have been treating players like we're in a zoo. Kevin Durant echoed those sentiments as well when he was asked. Um, it, it's just something that, look, hopefully they don't have to go back to, to that trash franchise and they can stay home at Barclays and, and finish this series because it's a bigger issue. Kyrie Irving speaks out on it and he gets criticized and, and crucified for it. And his own former general manager, yeah, probably tomorrow he's going to say he didn't even see the water bottle throwing incident <laughs> um, because Danny Ainge is, is that goddamn stupid and, and blind. Uh, but in, in all honesty, Kyrie Irving, uh, the, he puts it out there uh, in a way that we need to listen. And if you're not listening, uh, then you're blindly and stupidly ignorant. Yeah, especially now that, you know, there's given evidence for someone crossing the line. And, and like you said, you know, they, the, the way that players are treated, it does kind of feel like they people don't think that they're humans. They think that they're entertainers and that they're there for just for their value when they're not. So there's plenty of issues, obviously like you kind of hinted at earlier, we've seen this across the league in different venues. And it's something that the NBA really needs to address uh, with a lot of priority. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, ultimately, this is... If you're not banned from every single stadium, you know, I, I think that we heard Russell Westbrook and, and the frustration in his, in his voice. If it keeps happening, then the punishment isn't enough. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that, you know, we need to throw these guys in jail for, for weeks and weeks on end. But if it keeps on happening, then something does need to change. And we, we saw the NBA come out with a statement. Um, and this was before tonight's incident of another absolute piece of human garbage and the incident that, that he had um with Kyrie Irving so something's got to change Nick uh, I don't have the solution you don't have the solution but the people in power that are getting paid the big dollars to figure this out and make sure that their players feel safe and respected they need to figure something out 100% agree Jack obviously you know I don't think we're going to come up with the solution but the NBA pays a lot of people a lot of money to do that and the players need to feel safe and even just you know talking non-Nets non-Celtic stuff is John Morant talking about his family not knowing if they want to go back to Utah for the game and that's just kind of unacceptable and I think if you're the Utah Jazz you have to feel terrible about that and you need to go out of your way to make them feel comfortable make sure everybody feels comfortable in any NBA arena or any sports arena across the world absolutely absolutely but in in terms of the we'll get back to a little bit of the game Nick the Bruce Brown minutes that you saw from him, what did you think of uh, good old Bruce? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to love Bruce Brown. <laughs> you know, I mean, he just does so many things out there that just make you happy and just kind of plays that gritty basketball. I think the only negative I'd say for Bruce in this game, there was a couple fouls where he was a little too handsy, but that's just kind of the aggressive way he plays. You know, 14 points, 6 of 10 from the field, 2 of 2 from the free throw line, 7 rebounds, 1 assist, uh, 1 steal. He just kind of provides some of that extra grittiness that you miss. You know what I mean? Especially when you have, you know, three players that are a little bit more offensive-minded. You bring in a guy like Bruce Bruce Brown, he's kind of that perfect complement, and he's willing to essentially bang and defend anybody on the court. And he has just a good feel for what he needs to do. Is that, you know, setting a screen so James Harden can get a switch? Is that going to the short roll and attacking the rim or making the extra pass? I just feel like he's made some really, really good basketball decisions on the floor for, you know, still a relatively young player. Yeah, I think that you know he's going to be earning himself a pretty substantial payday uh, in the offseason, given the, the diversity that he's shown to his game and the willingness to embrace the role that he's been given within this team. And, you know, it's a full credit to him. It's why people beyond, you know, Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons, all these sort of people in the national media have fallen in love with him. We've been lucky enough to watch him game after game after game. He's going to play an important role going forward. Um, and look, whether that's against Milwaukee uh, and, and, and Philly, with, with given the, the general size that they have I still think Bruce does have a role to play but in this game overall Nick do you think that there were takeaways that we can have for the rest of this series and maybe against Milwaukee in a in a series that's probably been touted as even more anticipated than possibly the NBA finals yeah I mean I think for this series I think the Nets have to feel really comfortable going small you like they weren't punished and you know if they're going to get even punished a little bit inside then Kevin Durant makes up some of that with hit the weak side of rim protection he can provide and you know Bruce Brown was able to exploit them and open up a lot of space for guys to attack so I think in terms of this series we learned the Nets could go small we kind of already knew that before this game but it pretty much just determined that as a fact and then I think going to the Buck series it's really hard to say anything because I think the style of play and also the personnel in which the Bucks have are is completely different from what the Celtics have. You know what I mean? Like the Celt the Bucks are going to put a lot of lineups out the floor that are pretty big, where the Celtics literally just don't have options to do that. Yeah, I think thankfully what we did see was the the Nets win the rebounding battle. I think that that yep. one little statistic is going to be a key. It was a key indicator in why the Celtics were able to get their win because you get extra possessions for your team, whether it's on the offensive boards or you finish those defensive possessions uh, in a really strong fashion on the defensive glass. You know, if the Nets can rebound the ball well, and the way Kyrie Irving rebound the ball tonight, I think it's going to go to the wayside given the amount of individual highlights and the dunk that he did have. You know, 11 boards is incredible for a guy who's like, what, six foot two? He's shorter than me. Um, I wouldn't be able to rebound the ball when I'm going <laughs> up against, you know, Tristan Thompson, Grant Williams, and those sort of dudes out there. So I think rebounding is going to be a key statistic uh, for, for a lot of the Brooklyn Nets games. It's been a key indicator. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a simple stat. It's a simple skill. But it requires a level of engagement uh, for 48 minutes uh, if you want to get those things right, because that's where the Bucks can attack you in terms of you know getting some extra possessions using their physical advantage. Um, so I think that then if the Nets can rebound the ball well, maybe do a little bit better on the switches every now and then, which I think they did okay. But I think it was a lot of small defensive moments. They need to continue to, to hustle. You know, despite yeah. being a, a, a great team, you know, Tyler Johnson diving on the floor, getting a, a steal and, and selling the ball away. I thought that that's a, that's a moment. That there are moments that can, can change the trajectory of a quarter and then a quarter can change the trajectory of a half and then a half can change the trajectory of a game and then the game can change the, the, the history the of series. a 
the series in, in general. So it's all about the, the the little things, Nick. And I think that the Brooklyn Nets, despite you know the offensive masterclass that they did put on, they were also doing a lot of the little things that you would expect that we did see from Boston uh, in Game 3. Yeah, and just getting back to the rebounding on the Bucks, just touch on it quickly, is that was an area you saw the Bucks exploit the heat. And that kind of made their series not even close. So that's a great point by you, Jack. That's something the Nets need to continue to work on and clean up. And I think you saw major improvements from game three to game four for the little things. But I think I take this as a positive is the Nets still have plenty of work to do. There's plenty of errors they made in this game with communication. Like you mentioned, lack of hustle on a certain place. Like just the the tenacity needs to be there the entire time. And there's certain lapses where the Nets get away with it because of their offense. But when you go up against, you know, extremely talented teams and teams that can beat you, you're going to have to play with a little bit more urgency on every single possession. Because like you said, you know, one possession can change the game because next thing you know, that possession turns into just a small 6-0 run. And that's all it takes is to win a playoff game. Simple as that, Nick. Simple as that. Any other sort of big takeaways from this game? Uh, I guess we didn't touch a ton on Claxton, but I think this was a pretty substantial game for him in terms of feeling more like what we saw from Nick Claxton the regular season defensively. Just that overall impact. You talked about the four blocks, the deflections he had, just kind of came in and changed the flow of the game. And that's what you need. You know, having bench players that can come in and really change the momentum or put a twist on the game, Claxton's the type of guy that can do that if he plays at this level, you know, in the Bucks series, the Sixer series, the Lakers series, the Clippers series, whatever it is. Claxton just has some really defensive type of potential that just pops off the screen. And I think another thing would be you hope that Landry Shamit could maybe have a couple of those moments further in the postseason where he just kind of gets hot because he just has stretches where you you just really aren't feeling him on the floor and he's not super aggressive. Yeah, simple as that. So I, I think that we can see moments from Clax and, and what Clax can bring us going forward. You know, I think I want to see 20 minutes plus from him in, in game yep. five. And then because you, you need to prepare him because he's a he's a defensive weapon, a defensive X factor and that we're going to need to throw out there against a, a team that has a, a heap of size in Milwaukee. You know, they're going to be well rested. Giannis is going to be doing his thing. Brook Lopez was, was great. Yeah. He was immense. Uh, and Drew Holiday uh, might be one of the best individual guards and had was probably the best player in that series as well. So things are going to get tougher. Let's close things out. Kyrie Irving sort of said, you know, it's not all done yet. Um, the mentality needs to be the same that t- on, um, on Tuesday night as what it was tonight. I agree, Jack. Obviously, I think it'd be a great sign for the Nets if they close out strong in Game 5 and end the series in a somewhat dominant fashion. You know, if Boston plays well and they win by 10, that's great. Boston plays poorly and they win by 30, that's even better. So I think you just want to see the Nets continue to improve and make progress in terms of what maybe the final product can be deeper in the playoffs or even in the next round. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jack, that wraps it up. As always, a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch the buzz on all streaming platforms. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.